Jesus prays that we might be one. He prays that we might be united. But that doesn't mean that we should all be the same. But it does mean that we are all loved. Hi and welcome. Welcome from wherever you find yourself today to St Ninian's Church in Stonehouse. I'm Stuart and I get to be the minister here. Don't forget you can pop over to our website at saint-ninians-stonehouse.org.uk. There you can find out all about us and what's happening. And there's also some information at the end about some things that are coming up and some things that you might be able to help with. Today I'm joined in our worship by Joyce and John Hamilton. Joyce will lead our prayers a little bit later. But now let's listen as John reads our scripture for us today. John chapter 17 verses 20 to 26. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. This is the beginning of the end in John's Gospel, the last act before the trial and crucifixion. And this is the last Sunday of the season of Easter. So let's try to work out together what Jesus' prayer tells us about resurrection. It's still Thursday, but we've moved into a different moment. Jesus has explained all that will happen, that he will be betrayed, handed over to the authorities who will lie about him and have him crucified. But that won't be the end. But it's just all too much for the disciples to take in. They're left scared and confused. And of course, Jesus is unsettled too. Who wouldn't be? So Jesus does the best thing he can in this moment. He prays. He prays what has become known as the high priestly prayer. The first high priest was Aaron, the brother of Moses. It was the high priest's job to to be the intermediary between God and the people, to offer prayers on behalf of the community and to accept offerings given by the people to God. Often in those early days it was Moses who did the bargaining with God, but soon a pattern of religious practice evolved. We still follow some of it today. As the minister, I'm the one who's ordained to administer the sacraments of baptism and communion. Diana Butler Bass calls this the elevator model of the universe. God is up there in heaven, and we are down here on earth, and below us is hell. The priest's job is a bit like an elevator operator pressing the button to send things up to God and to pass on the things sent down from God to the people. Occasionally, they get to press the down button, deciding that someone has broken the rules. I am your elevator operator. And that's how we so often still think of the world. God up there in heaven, us down here on earth and and hell below. 
even though for 2,000 years John's gospel, and particularly this prayer in chapter 17, completely undoes all of that thinking. First, Jesus prays for himself, that they would see the Father in him, a glory that was in Jesus when he was with God since the world began. Then he prays for his disciples, that they would be joined with him like he's joined with God. And then he prays for us, those who will come to believe. For the writer of John's Gospel, there are four parts to the story. Incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection and ascension. Incarnation is the bit where the word who was with God in the beginning, the word who was God, slips into skin and moves into the neighbourhood. The word is Jesus. And then crucifixion, the, the world nails Jesus to a cross, nails God to a cross. Then resurrection, death is not the end. The darkness can never overcome the light, love wins. And the final part, the bit we so often forget, is ascension. Jesus returns to the Father, but he doesn't leave us, because Jesus has brought God to us. From the very outset of this gospel, it's really important for us to know that Jesus and God are one, that they've always been one, that they are completely united. Why did God become human and, and live among us? What difference does that make to me and you? These are the two questions that are at the heart of everything. Who is Jesus? And what's the point of Jesus? For John, the answers are simple, sort of. Who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is God. What's the point of Jesus? To bring us back into relationship with God. Connection is the point of all of it. Jesus comes to restore our relationship with God so that we can be united with God too, just like Jesus is. Look at what Jesus says. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known. Why? In order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. John's Gospel tries to present us with evidence to answer that first question about who Jesus is. John makes the case for Jesus. The whole first half of John's Gospel is known as the Book of Signs. Seven events, seven signs to convince us that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Changing water into wine at the wedding in Cana. Healing the royal official's son. Healing the paralysed man there at the pool at Bethesda in Jerusalem. Feeding the 5,000. Walking on water. Healing the man born blind. And raising Lazarus from the dead. These are the demonstrations that Jesus could only be the Son of God. These things would just not be possible otherwise. But they also tell us what God is like. Because Jesus is at one with God. So God is generous, abundant, caring, restoring, even has the power over life and death. The what's the point of Jesus question is, is probably harder to answer without falling into lots of big words and theological terms. So let's try to stick to just one for the moment. Salvation. We basically need saving from ourselves. God's desire for us is love, to love and be loved. And yet we see time and time again that we humans seem to have an endless reservoir of destruction to call on at any given moment. Even when things seem to be going well, we seem unable to avoid messing it up. 
Someone somewhere is always unhappy with something, or wants more, or feels left out, and we should absolutely pay attention to the reasons for that. But sadly, those things often manifest themselves in conflict and division. We're brilliant at finding ever more creative ways to separate ourselves from other people. New categories, new distinctions, new divisions abound. We seem to be moving further apart. Extremes in politics are just a reflection of our inability to see why someone else might hold a different point of view. And perhaps more worryingly, our inability to realise that we might be the ones that are wrong. We might be the ones who need to rethink and reassess. That inability to do that leads eventually to us nailing love to a cross. And yet still God loves us. Still God pursues us in love. Still God waits for us to return like a prodigal. Still God hunts for us like a shepherd looking for a lost sheep. Our divisions are a barrier to loving each other. It's the thing that God wants to help us avoid. It's something that God wants to save us from. God's hope for all of us is what the gospel calls eternal life or abundant life or life everlasting. So salvation then is restoring the wholeness of humanity, both individually and collectively. Salvation is about unity, being one. One. Our prayer is that we might be one. One idea, one expectation. That's our desire for uniformity. And yet, Jesus' prayer is that we might be one. One with God. One with the world. That's God's desire for unity. Our uniformity is that each one of us must be the same. Each one of us must be the same. Each one of us must be the same in their own way. God's unity is that each one of us is different. Each one of us is unique. Each one of us is diverse in our own ways. Our uniformity says that each one of us is intolerable. Each one of us is oppressive. Each one of us thinks that we're right no matter what others think in their own ways. And yet God's unity says that each one of us is to be welcomed. Each one of us to be accepted. Each one of us to embrace the diversity that God created in God's own ways. Part of the wonderful gift that John's Gospel gives to us is the combined perspective of a glorious vision and a down-to-earth rootedness. We have the vision of a future kingdom with all the potential and creation and humanity that comes from the living word of God among us. But that universal dimension is, is also rooted in history. It's brought down to earth in John's writing. This prayer that Jesus prays exists in that liminal space between what is and what could be. This is the space all of Jesus' followers inhabit daily in our lives as we seek to put faith into action, to put belief into our decision-making, to hold on to the trust within the messiness of life. And our unity is shown in our love, our love for God and our love for each other. If John's Gospel is about witnessing to who Jesus is and why that matters, then it follows that we should all be witnesses, telling people about who Jesus is and why that matters. And if it really does matter to us, then it, its effects should be evident in how we live. We should be the ones who can work towards unity without having to destroy our uniqueness. Because that's what, that's what love looks like. We should be the ones who can welcome those who are not like us and celebrate their difference because that's what love does. We should be the ones who recognise that our only response to being loved completely by God 
is to reflect that love in our relationship with everything and everyone that God has created. God has always had the whole world in mind for this great work of salvation. This was always about restoring a relationship and that restoration is evident in us being known for loving one another. Witnesses give testimony. So what is it that we are testifying to? How do our lives tell other people about Jesus? Is the love that we have been given embodied in our own lives? These are big questions. Big, important questions. Too big to just ignore. But alongside these questions is a promise and a prayer. The promise is that Jesus will be with us always. That's the last part of John's story. Jesus returns to the Father having saved us. Saved us with love. We are loved. We are part of God and God is part of us just like it was for Jesus. His prayer has been answered. If you want to see what that looks like, all you have to do is look around.
prayers for others and ourselves. Lord Jesus, you who intercede on our behalf, we bring you our prayers in a spirit of solidarity with you and with your purpose. We pray for a world with so much diversity and difference, from desert sands to arctic glaciers, life finds a way, and within that creativity we are charged with a special responsibility. When we fail to live into that responsibility, putting the profits of multinational companies above the maintenance of crucial habitats, putting our craving for fossil fuels above the health and well-being of life itself, putting our own comfort above the futures of our children and grandchildren, we pray that we might do better, craving understanding of how the world works and how it might work better and seeking a unity of purpose that seeks to do no harm. We pray for our community and for the stresses and worries that are part of any society, that the compromises our politicians make are ones that bring good, particularly to those who have little and whose stresses and worries are greatest. We give thanks for all those who make our communities more compassionate and welcoming, from food banks to support for asylum seekers. But we also pray for a time when such work is no longer needed and people can live without fear or need. We pray for our church in a time of great change and reform, that wise leaders would guide us and where your story of grace and love will not be lost amid the techno-waffle of management speak and sloganising. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for hearing our prayers as we continue in the words you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Pray for us, Jesus, that we might be one your team, your friends, your followers. Stay with us, Jesus, as we stay with you. Be within us, be around us, be among us, today and always. Food Bank Collection is open every Sunday from 1pm till 2.30pm at St Ninian's Church. Your donations are very much appreciated and if you need food then please do come down between 1 and 2.30pm every Sunday and collect what you need. Delighted to say that our coffee mornings will be restarting on Tuesday the 3rd of May 
at 10am until 11.30am and then every Tuesday thereafter for a while at least until the end of June. So that's Tuesdays for our coffee morning from 10am till 11.30am and it's £2.50. Our plan is to collect recipes to make a book to raise some funds. So recipes can be given to Agnes Barr or myself as soon as possible. You can email them to info at saint-ninians-stonehouse.org.uk Anyone who can help with the Summer Club, please again speak to me or speak to me. We're planning a family fun day and as part of that we're going to have a lucky bag fundraiser. So please, please, please could you donate some toys, gifts for adults and gift bags of all sizes. If you could drop them off at the church by next Sunday that would be amazing. And finally, if you're feeling energetic, then we'd ask you to pop along to the church gardens on Wednesday at 6.30pm or any time after that to help with some weeding and some tidying up of the garden, trimming hedges and trees and the like. If that's for you, then we'd love to see you. And don't forget, 